So I wanted you to read that chapter. I'll read the chapter. That's what I was just going to suggest. You, you yes, took the I words out of my that, mouth. Yes, I think that time I was moving and uh-huh. I'm sure a lot of things happened, but I will read that. Yeah. You read it? I read most of it. I didn't talk to you at all. You showed it to me. Mm-hmm. We have to understand who is Krishna. Very complex person. That's very much part of our tradition. Who is Krishna? What is his mood? Where? Why? Hmm? What are his different feelings at different times? We find our way in there. The world of feelings. Beyond reason. Love knows no reason. You see, we hear about Krishna and we think why we're not more attracted to Krishna or why we can't see Krishna. We'd like to, but we can. But the idea is that if you want to meet a great person, you have to go where they are. You have to come on their terms. So what are the terms? The terms is the ground of being that Krishna stands on. Consciousness, not matter. So when you come to that plane, then you can meet Krishna very easily. Then your attraction to Krishna will be very, won't be fleeting, constant, and it can be cultivated practically. You have to go where he is. So he's standing in, in Brahman on the spiritual platform. So you have to go to the spiritual platform. If you want to enter the fire and know what it's like to be fire, you have to become fire. Therefore, the Upanishads teach if you want to know God, To be with God, you have to become like God. So you have to understand the difference between matter and spirit. If we understand Krishna, the Supreme Spirit, that's then not so easy. That's difficult. But if we make that effort, die to live. You see, we live in a plane of death. Death is the norm here. Everyone's living to die. Everyone competing with one another to live on limited amount of unlimited resources that are available. It's a plane of death, Marte Lokam. So we have to give a death blow to death. That we have to do. We have to kill the ego. Kill the enjoying ego. That's not so easy. <laughs> that that is we have an open season for hunting the ego down, tracking him down. Who? Almas. Almas? Yeah. Are you playing? Mm. No. And he says to, from the perspective, he says to don't kill the ego, but try to understand it and reintegrate it. Same thing? Different ways of talking about it. I, of course, haven't read his, his philosophy, studied it, but probably same idea. The ego is means, our present ego means that we've, our real identity has been superimposed on matter. Therefore, we struggle, because any material form will not endure. So this body will not endure. But we've identified with it, so we're living with a constant threat of non-existence, and we're endeavoring constantly to overcome that. So there's a fear that perpetuates entire material existence, fear of non-existence. We're living with it on death row. It's only a matter of time. But we try, in search of our real nature, which is, which is enduring in the wrong place, we try to survive in terms of this material identity. But it can't survive. It cannot survive. Not a chance. But we're trying. And in trying to sustain our sense of self based on material identity, material identification, we're at odds with others. We can, there's no question of love. Impersonalism is one thing. Monism is one thing, but exploitation. We're talking about exploitation. We're being exploited by our own material identity. In other words, you you have to eat to live. 
means you have to take. So in order to survive in terms of our material identity, we have to take, we have to be on the take. And what is love about? It's not about taking, it's about giving. It's so much about giving that even the thought of getting cannot be attached to the act of giving for it to be love. One of my disciples once, many years ago, said to me, you know, Guru Maharaj, I'm not getting anything. I said, that's the problem, you see. You're thinking about getting something. You have to think about giving yourself. Forget about getting. Just give. Love is about giving, without attaching the idea of getting to that. You understand? Selflessly giving. Material life is just the opposite. In order to live, in terms of our material identity, we have to take. So our capacity to love, which involves giving, is, is impaired, to say the least, by our material identification. So struggle. One living being is food for another. So we have to awaken to this and start to give. As we give in any way, any way, at some level, giving, becoming selfless, on every level. It's not just that you go to the temple. Wherever you turn, there are opportunities. We don't want just Kanishtarikari, Komal Shraddha, weak devotee, just in, out of the book devotee. We want to, real, to be a real devotee. Krishna is everywhere, in everyone, everything is but the Shakti of Krishna. Opportunity to be selfless, to be honest, to be giving appears every day in our life. We should take advantage of it. The, the neophyte sees Krishna in the temple. Krishna's in the temple, no doubt. But he's outside the temple also. Oh, any more or less? Hmm? Any more or less? Any more or less? That's a question of vision, realization. Hmm? Question of realization. For some, he'll be more in the temple. And they should think like that. That will be good for them. For others, no. Hmm? Why someone falls down on the path of devotion from the practice, for example, commits an immoral act that isn't appropriate or helpful for his progress? Because he fails to see Krishna. Will you do that in the temple? No, because you think that Krishna's there. <laughs> but you don't stop to think that every person Every body is the energy of Krishna. Everything belongs to Krishna. You think in the temple this belongs to Krishna, but you like outside, uh, it's my place. <laughs> no. So the failure to see Krishna is a realization we can't imitate, but we should understand as best we can and try to advance so that we can see Krishna everywhere. Then there'll be no lapse in our practice. Then we won't be practicing. I mean, it's, it's, practicing means I'm, I'm practicing now. <laughs> Not like that. If you're living, breathing, Krishna consciousness. So this is the plane of exploitation. Karmic plane. Everything, every gain we make is illusory. Just like borrowing money from the bank. We didn't get anything. We just got into debt compounded by interest. We didn't make any money. If we come to zero, then in terms of negative numbers, we've gone somewhere. But Krishna consciousness is all about the positive numbers beyond that. So plane of exploitation is one thing. Not to exploit, that is another thing. To love Krishna, that is the harmonizing of both. Because then we can exploit everything for Krishna. Krishna is the rightful exploiter of everything. He says, I'm the enjoyer of everything. Everything's meant to be exploited by me. But it's not bad. There's nothing but him. <laughs> there is nothing but Krishna. We are a part of the process. So devotion means to exploit everything for the service of Krishna. That's what Krishna is doing. You see, that's what the supreme enjoyer means. Everything for his enjoyment.
So to be part of that, to be cooperative, cooperative and conscious of the fact that this is what life is about. That's Krishna consciousness. Then you can be anywhere. You don't have to have the tuft of hair or or anything. Not that those things are not useful. It can be very helpful to us. We have to get, as I said before, some handle on the whole thing, some footing. But we're meant to dance, not just have a foothold and hang on, but to dance. That means nothing contaminated. You understand? You can do anything, go anywhere, in any situation, with the right angle of vision. The whole thing is about changing our angle of vision. That's what everything we do, whether we chant or serve, it's, it's all about that. So try to gravitate towards the heart of that and understand what this sadhana is, what it involves. Changing our angle of vision. We look at the world as if we are the subject and the world is an object for us to manipulate and exploit for our purposes. After all, I'm consciousness. I means I'm an experiencer. And matter is experienced, right? So I'm superior to matter. I'm the experiencer. Matter is experienced. At the same time, that I, by lending myself to matter, give meaning to it from another, to the vantage point of God. We're talking now about the supreme consciousness, the reservoir of consciousness. Matter is a shakti of God, and the jiva is shakti of God. Krishna has explained this in Bhagavad Gita. Aparayamitastanyam pakritim vidimeparam. Jiva bhuta mahabaho yaidam daryate jagat. The jiva bhuta mahabaho, he says. First he explained his material energy. Bhumiraponalobhayo kamano buddhrevacha. Hankara iti yami bhina prakritarashtadha. He said, these elements comprise my material nature. But there's another. Jiva bhuta living beings, and they sustain the material existence. So we animate the world of matter, bring it to life, give meaning to it. If there was meaning to matter, independent of consciousness, who would know about it? Consciousness is important. If there was meaning to matter, independent of consciousness, who would care? Who would know? Consciousness is important. We're of that nature. So we're, in a sense superior to matter. But, as matter is a shakti of God, he says, this is my secondary power. I have an intermediate power, jiva, jiva bhuta, jiva shakti, tatasta shakti. Tata means beach, like the jamuna tatachar, on the bank of the jamuna, tatasta. Tatasta means neither here nor there. Marginal, intermediate. If we have a lake, we have the shore, the line that is the demarcation between land and water, that is the tasta. Can you put your finger on it? Either land or water, but still there is a line, and we are of that nature. Tatasta. Hmm? Tatasta. It means the nature of our existence is relative to our association. If we associate with matter, we become like matter. Soul consciousness, as I said, is superior to matter in nature. But if we soul associate with matter, he becomes like uh, water that's frozen. What can you do with ice? You can cool water. <laughs> what can you do with water? So many things we can do with water that you cannot do with ice. But when soul lends itself to associating with matter, it becomes like matter practically. It becomes atrophied, frozen, limited, confined. And confined, then its nature is not to be such independent of matter. So it struggles with those confines. They don't feel natural. It's struggling with that. Now, if we think about ourself in these terms, then we can try to come out. But that means we have to melt. We have to change. We have to soften up a little bit. We've been struggling, competing with one another for surviving. But when we find out that survival is radically meaningless, what my potential is, independent of that, is so great. So it melt, heart has to melt. And the best way to melt that heart is to understand not only what our limitations are, 
as a result of associating with matter, but what our potential is, melted. That means we have to bring God into the picture. We're one of the shaktis of God. Matter is one of the shaktis of God. Both. So how matter appears to us as an object that we can exploit, we appear like that to God. Matter is a shakti of God. The jiva is a shakti of God. He can do with his shaktis whatever he wants. Just like my body has hands. They're not independent of my body. This is my body. And this is my hand. We are Krishna. And we are the Shakti of Krishna. Both. You understand? My hand is my body. But I can also talk of it as my hand. It's more useful for me to talk of it as my hand than to just say it's my body. Then it has a function. In the general sense, yes, we are Krishna. We are part of one of the Shaktis of Krishna. And when we talk about it like that, then we have more meaning and we get greater understanding of Krishna as well. By understanding the energy of a person, you can understand that person. So as we see matter, we have to think Krishna is seeing us. We are consciousness, so we are the subject, matter is the object, but Krishna is the supreme subject. In relation to him, we're like an object. This is what you have to change your angle of vision. Rather than seeing yourself as the subject, manipulating so many objects for your purpose, you have to be prepared to be manipulated for the purpose of Krishna, to be exploited by him, to be involved in the great exploitation <laughs> that life is about, <laughs> in the enjoyment of Krishna. Krishna is enjoying himself. Reality is a person, but it's not us. That's all. Just like we think reality is a person, then it's me. So I see the whole world in relation to myself. How is Sri Krishna's expectation of us different from my expectation of matter? Because when we exploit matter, there's only an appearance of our exploiting it. I mean, we are exploiting it, but the net result is we get exploited. When Krishna exploits us, He's not the loser. We're not an exploiter in our real nature. But when we're identified with matter, then we are on the take. So we're in, involved in exploitation, which is contrary to our nature, natural condition. So we lose as a result of it. But when Krishna exploits us, we benefit. He enjoys. And that's his natural position. Everything is his part of parts. Everything belongs to him. God is enjoying himself. So it's just a question of really understanding that, acknowledging that, consciously being part of that. We're a very tricky kind of entity because <laughs> we're also, he's supreme will, we're a unit of will. So we're an object, but albeit a conscious one. <laughs> it makes it a little more complicated. But then Krishna is a better exploiter <laughs> than we are. We're exploiting inanimate objects, but he's exploiting inanimate and the animate objects all for his purpose. So you see, there is no problem. <laughs> God is enjoying himself. That's what's going on. And the problem is we don't realize that. We may wonder why God has me in this, why why, why I have to suffer, why God is arranged like this. And, but what you don't understand is that you're part and parcel of God. And if you understand that, then there's no point of asking. If my hand one day decides... Now, wait a minute. Every day, this body is engaging me in picking up the food and putting it in that mouth. The mouth gets the food. And I'm just putting it in. I'm keeping it for myself. What happens then? <laughs> he thinks he'll gain more by keeping but he, he loses. Right? If the hand starts to go on strike, he's the loser. If we got, decide to go on strike, I don't have to be exploited. I'll exploit. Then we are the loser. The hand has to serve the body. Put the food in the mouth, it goes to the stomach, energy comes through the hand. So you have to find the proper center. Krishna is the center. It has to be the center. Otherwise, how can he accept all kinds of love? It might be Narayana. Some type of center he is. But the whole center, that is a Krishna conception. There are all things possible, all type of love. You have to think about it. What does Krishna mean? 
is that reality is the person and his energies. And we are part of one of those energies, so we have consciousness. And if we could become aware of what we're involved in, then all the problems are solved. Am I making sense to you? Good, good. Because, you know, they say, Vyasa Veti no Veti Va, so... <laughs> that makes sense to you. What does that mean? It sounds good for you. Vyasa, it means Vyas may know, he may not know. Om Vedme Sukham Veti Vyasa Veti no Veti Va Bhaktim Bhagavatim Prayam Nabudaya Chitikaya Vyasa Veti no Veti Va Shiva speaking. I know the meaning of Bhagavatam, Om Vedme Sukhaveti Sukadev knows. Vyasa Veti no Veti Vyasa may know, he may not know. Bhaktim Bhagavatim Grayam Nabudaya Chitikaya The one thing is for sure. Bhagavatam can be understood by devotion, not by your intelligence or simply by reading the tika. Vyasavidhi means that sometimes something will come through. Vyas means the guru will come through that even he does not know. It's like as a conduit coming through something never heard before. Vyas gave Bhagavatam. He wrote Bhagavat. Right? Gave to Sukadev. So this verse is there. So he may know the meaning, he may not know the meaning. He does know the meaning. But <laughs> it's said like, he may know, he may not know. But one thing's for sure. <laughs> you can know it by devotion only. Not by any other means. Nabudaya Chatikaya. It's a famous verse. But there's no meaning to teacher without a student. The student is as important as the teacher. For the whole thing to happen. It's hard for a teacher to find a student as it is for a student. Harder, it's harder. <laughs> it's harder. Find a good student. Why? Really, it's the same. Because a good student is a teacher. Who is a good student? Who is the best student? Is the teacher. So we're looking for gurus, not for disciples. <laughs> Oh, it's so confusing. The whole thing. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Really. Life doesn't make any sense, but that's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Because love doesn't make any sense. Neither does it have to. But it feels good. So, <laughs> so we'll go with that. <laughs> that's where we get in trouble. We try to make sense out of it, explain it, and we always come up short. Someone can always find a fault. <laughs> but then again, if you have love, then you try to explain it. It's, it's the nature of love is such that it's, one wants to give, who has it when it was overflowing. And it finds, oh, everybody's not as interested as I thought. Has to withdraw, then again and come out. You can only really teach how to attract love. It's like you can teach a young girl, comb your hair like this, just like this, we'll attract a young man. Can I teach love? How to attract love? How to attract Krishna to us? How to make ourselves attractive to Krishna? Draw sympathy from Krishna, from the sadhus. And what is the most important cosmetic? Humility. Mahaprabhu has made emphasis on this point. Jinadapisanichena. Humility. Krishna is positive. Asserter. Bhuktadam Dagatapasam Sarvaloko Maheshwarams. I am everything, enjoyer of everything. Controller Sarvaloko Maheshwaram, controller of all the worlds. Krishna is asserting himself. Positive. So if you have a very strong positive force, how you will attract the positive force? If you have a very strong Magnetic positive force. How will you? Super you have to be negative, right? So we have to take the negative position. Dainya, humility. That will attract his attention. Like magnet, come together. But we are used to also being an asserter. We feel we have to be, because what we've identified with, this material body, that is frail. 
and failing, as I said, we feel threatened, our existence is threatened. We have to assert ourselves, we think, to survive, struggle for existence. So we're accustomed in this way, fighting, finding our way as a rugged individual. We have to move in the opposite direction to attract him. If a sadhu finds the humble soul, what and what he will put in his ear, he'll think this will go in and it will stay. It will go in and it will stay there in the heart. So Mahabhu has wisely emphasized this point. Cultivate this humility. It's the, it's the reality. We are a negligible part of the whole infinite, negligible part. You have to understand. Am I talking too long? No, 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 no. I'm just trying to, you know, peek in on the nectar. <laughs> you are the nectar, Brahma, for me. <laughs> Hosting us here. Well, our, our such a task, we have to try to attract Krishna's attention. The Supreme Being. He can do anything. We may find out the laws of nature by scientific inquiry, experiment, and consistent data, we can reach conclusions as to the nature of material reality. But the laws, all those laws can be changed at any moment. He can change all the laws. Not only that, but if he wants, he's svarat, fully independent. Our existence can be extinguished. It's possible, theoretically. So we are a negligible part of this whole thing. So what is our hope for, for what Gaudiya Vaishnava is talking about? Conquering even Krishna. If Krishna will touch your feet. <laughs> we can't even... Even people in other religious tradition will think, how oh, would I... What, what, that would be uh, offensive to expect such a thing. You should understand this is the teaching. This is what we're after. Diabolical as it is. <laughs> We couldn't be the supreme enjoyer in one way, so we'll bring the supreme enjoyer under our control. <laughs> it's actually a very sweet idea, because he allows it to happen out of love. He falls in love with his devotee, and God loses sight of himself. He has to be. Lose sight of himself to touch the feet of Radha. To become just the chariot driver of Arjun. But he's happy doing that. So this is the madness of love. So if we're to be successful in this, well, then we have to think very differently than we've been accustomed. So danya, humility, we have to move in that direction. If there's a negative, we'll attract the positive. Therefore then, as I said, then you have like DSL connection. Connected all the time online. means DSL, always online. And so much downloading. <laughs> so much information to digest and cultivate love. When our bhajan becomes nishta, how is that possible? By cultivating this. Yeah, fixed. Not intermittent connection. Always online. That means Janada Pisa Nichena. Tarora Pisa Hishnuna. Manina Manadena Kitanya Sadahari. Humility like grass. Tolerance like tree. You heard it before? We were talking about sleeping under trees. You must have done it recently, huh? Did you think of this shloka? Then? You're not Krishna conscious. <laughs> you see, the trees, they spoke to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They said, why aren't you tolerant like us? If someone chops us down, we don't complain. We give them shade. In the winter, we provide warmth. In the summer, we provide shade. But do you think it's warm for us, standing out here? Do you think it's cool for us, shading everyone else from the sun? Why do we do that? The grass said to him, Why aren't you humble like us? 
If someone steps on us, we don't complain. We go down. We don't resist. If a favorable wind comes, we go with it. The grass said, oh, you should be more humble than us. The tree said, you should be more tolerant. And you should not expect any honor for yourself. This is so deceiving that we've got something by the honor of others. By getting the honor, regard from others, we will think that we've gained something, gone somewhere. No, it's, it's just the opposite. If we eat that, we make a meal of that, oh, everything is lost. We do something nice, and we want to be recognized for that, to that extent. You see how that is coming in your life all the time. We get an inspiration to do something nice, that we want to be recognized for that. And then we contaminate it to some extent. It's still good, but it's a hard thing to root out. Mahaprabhu said to get rid of that. Raghunath Das Goswami said, this pratishta, pratishta, honor, we are so much seeking after. He said, it is like the stool of a pig. You know what pigs eat? They eat the stool. So what their stool must be like. He has said, this is not a nice thing. He says, stay away from that. It spoils the whole thing. So how you get over that? Seeking honor for yourself? Amanina, manadena. Give honor to others. Just constantly give it away. Honor others. He said like this, four things, these four things. Humility like the grass, tolerance like the tree, expecting no honor, giving honor to others. This is nishta. Kirtaniya sadahari. Then the kirtana of Krishna Nam, the name of Krishna. It's constant, going on, visible, invisible. It's going on, constant. And it's some real standing. Now, as I say, the connection is not intermittent. So if someone tries to send some information, it will come in. It will come into your computer. And then you have to take that from your hard disk and sort it out. And with that, in, with that commodity, you make a business. And build a house, then, as I said earlier. In the plane where there's no death, therefore Mahaprabhu says, Nadanam, Najanam, Nasundarim, Kavitam Bad, Jagadish Kamiye, Mamajanmanidan Manishwari, Bhavatat Bhakti Rai Takitai. From Nishta to what? Ruchi. What is Ruchi? Nadanam, Najanam, Nasundarim, Kavitam Bad. You understand how he's identified Ruchi? Taste. Ruchi means taste. A taste for Krishna. How is it characterized by Mahaprabhu? No taste for wealth, Nadanam. Nadanam. No taste for followers. They'll have my flock. Whenever I say something funny, they'll laugh. Whenever I, you know, <laughs> no, just for that. Nadanam, Nadanam, Nasundarim, Kavitam. Even beautiful poetry, fine arts. <laughs> it's refined and subtle and especially in relation to secular Ras Shastra Diva Goswami said in, in this refined world there's only one of Ras Shastra secular Ras Shastra there's only one Rasa uh, discussed that's all it comes to that so he's defined Ruchi Nadanam Nadanam Nasundarim Kavitam have no taste for these other things if we see someone has no taste for these other things, they must have some must have some taste. We're living for tasting, for feelings, so must have some feeling in another plane. And he says, Mama Janvani Janvanishware Bhavatat Bhakti Rahitakitri. I don't even care for liberation. I'm happy as I am. Life after life. If I have devotion, service to Krishna, I'm happy. That person can help you can do good work for others, can give help from a safe position, can give help to others. And then Ruchi becomes refined to attachment in a particular way to Krishna.
Mahaprabhu speaking, Jivera Sarup Hoy Krishna Nityadas. The Swarup. Do you want to know your Swarup? <laughs> your Swarup is a Jeev. Krishna Das. Krishna Das. But then someone say, but which Das? <laughs> As we would have told you. Then you can say, I'm trying to just digest the, the last name. <laughs> <laughs> the surname, Das. We'll worry about the rest. <laughs> that will come. Of its own, naturally, that will come. That I'm servant of Krishna. Therefore, Mahaprabhu said, What? He said, Ainanda Tanuja, King Karam. Nanda Tanuja, King Karam. That son of Nanda, I'm the King Kar, the servant. Ainanda Tanuja, King Karam, Patita Mam Vishameva Vambudo. Kripaya Tava Padapanka Jastita Dulisabhisandhichinte. He said, as a particle of dust, if I could become a particle of dust to serve your lotus feet, this kind of kinkar. He's not saying, if I can be a gopi, I will be happy. If I can be any kind of kinkar whatsoever, as small as a particle of dust at your lotus feet, that's what I want. So asakti, this is asakti. Rujivi is refined to attachment, a servant, and then some glimpse is coming. It's a particular kind of servant. Then Nayanam Galala Sudaraya Vadanam Gadgadaya Rudayagira Pulakaya Nichitam Vapukara Tavanama Grahane Bhavishati Bhava Bhakti Tears and choking and all internal symptoms real spiritual emotion crossed over the other side. Then a kind particular kind of Bhav that is, makes up the bhavadeha, the refined idea of the sarup. What, the first name? What kind of servant of Krishna? That is cultivated. Yugaitam namishena chakshusha prabhishaitam sunyaitam jagat sarvam govindviraheneme asthishiva padavatam panastama darshanam marmatam kurotuva etatatavidatulam patomat prananatastusevanapara prembhakti. They're all given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Eight shlokas, Shikshastakam, explaining our progression. When we can come to humility, then that kind of standard, so that should be our immediate focus. General idea, higher idea, where I want, what is the, the ideal of Krishna consciousness? Immediate focus, this Trinata Pisamichana. Because if we can go there, then we can come to the same land of Krishna, where he lives, then easy to meet him there. You had a question? This whole time I've been thinking of this, it kept on popping up, and I finally figured out how to say it, was, so, like in humility, a lot of times, people, like they say, well, there's, you know, things that are happening that maybe you feel aren't proper or whatever, and desire to spread Lord Chaitanya's movement around the world is there. And so we wanted to do it. And sometimes things that are like hindering that or our superiors or, you know, people in position of superior, like in a regular temple structure, you know, physical structure of a temple environment or something, <coughs> telling us something like um, the best instance I can think of is somebody says, watch the pots when it's not so important when I could go out on a book distribution or something like that. I'm, you know, been kind of trained up as a fanatic. And so, like, humble humility, it seems like, real humility would be like to just go out on books, you know, watch the pots, or maybe really, you know, because anyway, there's, I have discussions with one of my friends who's real humble, or trying to be a humble devotee, and uh, about these things. So how does this all kind of integrate humility, you know, what's real humility? You see, I don't think I asked that very nicely. Oh, I understand your question better than you do. (laughs) 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 You have to be, uh, you know, these. 
we have to have a dynamic idea of humility. So, humility before who? Before God, right? We should be humble before God. So, how do we become humble before God? Well, God, has, uh, Krishna has his agents. So, we have to come in touch with his agents. And then, at that point, when we, when we understand, I'm in touch with an agent, a real agent of God, then I can practice humility. We should, in a general sense, as I'm explaining, try to be humble. But when we come before an agent and make a connection there for guidance, so much needed as it is, then what is, what will be humble is to do the bidding of our guru. We should not be so concerned for saving the whole world. Better to be concerned for saving yourself. You should make sure that happens. You understand? Actually preaching, that is a high thing. But we may not be so high as we think. So the problem is that you've heard a lot of things, but you haven't had the good fortune yet of hearing consistently from one person who can explain this to you systematically and guide you in such a way that you can make tangible progress and sort all these things out. What are your priorities? What you should be doing? You're kind of a step ahead of yourself, in a sense. It's like you want to distribute the book, but what about reading the book? Not that you don't read the book, but just to give you an example. Someone's very concerned about distributing the book to others, but he didn't read it yet. Now, I'm not saying you don't read the books, I'm just using that as an example. It's kind of putting the horse before the cart. The whole thing begins with accepting good guidance. And you have to hear the whole this philosophy consistently from a person. Put everything in place. So your previous situation, you're in some temple and you gave an example. It's, um, it's hard to reply to you, particularly to your example, but in the more general, broader sense, this is what you need. You should be more concerned about, as I said earlier, finding a guide than being the guide for others. Granted, to some extent, you can be a guide for others because you have a book and it has a lot of spiritual knowledge in it and you can give it to somebody that never heard of that book before. And you can ask them for a contribution and they can spend their hard-earned money on that book and that's good. And they can read that book, so forth. So, yeah, on, on some level, you can do good for others. But what if somebody can write those books? Now, that's more valuable. That requires more spiritual credential than handing the book out to somebody and telling them about it. So if we can find that kind of person who can draw that down, Grantha Prakash, who can manifest the Grantha, the Shastra, in this world, then to assist that person in that, that's the level on which we can be involved in helping people, helping ourselves. So you should find such a, a good guide. You know, you see, for example, Prabhupada is my Diksha Guru. I would have done whatever he asked me to do. It didn't matter. At the time, he emphasized that he, that he had written some books, he wanted them to be distributed. I was probably one person, more than anyone in the whole mission, was more instrumental as an individual in fulfilling that ambition of Prabhupada's than anyone else. That was my good fortune. I was sitting with Prabhupada in Mayapur, in 1977, the year that he left, about six months prior to that, that he left the world. And at that time, one of my godbrothers brought a little pamphlet that had been published by the Bhaktivedanta Book Trust for the first time. And it, it said how many books had been printed to date of his books and in how many languages. So many in English, so many in Spanish, so many in French, so many in German. And at the bottom, there was a figure, 63 million books had been published to date. And by the time that that pamphlet was handed to Prabhupada, he was told that Prabhupada, not only are these in print, but by the time this came off the press, these many books have been distributed of your books. 
Now, Prabhupada had a strong desire to fulfill the ambitions of his own guru, to see that Gaudi Vaishnavism was distributed in the, all over the world. And he was encouraged by his guru to write about Gaudi Vaishnavism. So Prabhupada dedicated his life to that. So he was very happy, you understand, to know at this point that to date 63 million books had been distributed. You can imagine how pleased he was. Anyway, then he dismissed us all. And then he called me back. And then he pointed to the brochure and he said, You see this number? 63 million? I said, Yes, Prabhupada. He said, That's all your credit. I said, No, Prabhupada, that's your credit, but I'm just your instrument. So anyway, I just make this point to you to, first of all, let you know that I know something about the book selling thing, <laughs> book distribution. Sankirtan in a dynamic sense. I know something about it. But I also say it to you because as I mentioned, had Prabhupada wanted something else, I would have done that, whatever it was. And it just might be that twenty some years after Prabhupada's disappearance, certain things, time and circumstance, they change. Priorities change also in a preaching mission what may be most important for the dissemination, for example, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which will certainly draw sympathy from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Krishna to us. It might be subject to adjustment from what an acharya like Prabhupada emphasized 20-some years ago. Do you understand what I'm saying? Look at the circumstances, how different they are. At that time, there was one group of international devotees of Krishna in one mission, Prabhupada's particular mission and institution. Now there are many institutions and devotees from many different countries and parts of the world. And there are people who were born into this mission. And there's a certain amount of information about the tradition that's out and about that was far greater than the time when, when Prabhupada was here. Now there's a whole international group of devotees. And it's a full plate to explain Gaudiya Vaishnavism to them. Or to speak about some person on the street that never heard of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Actually, to be honest with you, the whole international community is in this kind of a sorry state of affairs. So someone in a position for preaching, real preaching, which is really an overflow of realization. It's not just a repetition of something that you've heard. That may be a form of it, but the real vital kind of preaching is that which is an overflow of someone's realization. Someone who is in that position, who's feeling the overflow, who needs to unload on others something, <laughs> is burdened by, by something that's been handed down to him, then he might such a person might reason about priorities at this time differently. Do you understand? And it would be in your interest to find such a person and find out what they wanted, just like what I found out, what Prabhupada wanted. Somehow or other, I was able to find a guru, or my guru found me, my good fortune. But beyond that, I was able to find out what he wanted in particular. In a general sense, of course, he wanted all of his disciples to develop love for Krishna. But in terms of immediately of his particular mission, there were things that were important that would help to beget that, to bring that about. After all, water in a desert is very valuable, right? So the value of any particular service that will be determined in terms of what's needed in the hour. So if we can find a living agent who's presenting this in a vital way, then we're fortunate. If on top of that, we have the sincerity and interest such that we can figure out or that it will be revealed to us what's on that Vaishnava's mind in terms of service, and we can fill the gap that will bring remuneration to us considerably. Do you understand? So 
So again, first thing is you've got to find a good guide, and then you've got to find out what that guide wants. And that would be the best thing you could do for the whole world. And it might not be to just travel around and be homeless, <laughs> like you are, and sell books in the street. It's possible. It's not a bad thing, but it might be something else. And then doing that, that's what humility is. If the guru tells us, now you become the guru, then you've got to sit on a seat like this. You think it's comfortable? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's more comfortable sitting on the floor and being told what to do than having the burden of telling other people what to do and trying to see that they do it right and handing them something that you know is very valuable and hoping that they don't break it. It's more of a burden. But if our guru wants that, then we take that burden. The natural position of the Vaishnava is to be humble, to sit at the feet of even a, a ordinary persons. But humility might take the shape of sitting on a big seat and roaring and telling everybody, this, you do this, and you're wrong, and no, and that's right. That could be humble. So humility has different expressions. But the basis of humility is doing the bidding of Krishna. And how we know the bidding of Krishna? Through his agent, find agent, That'll be more important. The deity of Krishna has a regular seva that goes on in the temple. But if the Vaishnav, Shuddha Vaishnav calls and says, come, we can leave that to serve his call. Why do you bow down before the deity of Krishna? Because a Vaishnav told you. So where is Krishna? More than even in the deity. Now, you know what else Prabhupada told you to do? Find a Vaishnav. <laughs> Serve under that Vaishnav. <laughs> because, you know what? This is Vaishnavism. <laughs> That's why. That will be good for us. <laughs> then you won't be worried about all priority, what I should do, what I should not. And it's simple. You just do what you're told. Hmm? And you know that it will be good for you because you found an agent who you can feel. Even you can't always understand everything he says, but you can feel. He, he has a feeling for this and he cares about me. And when you feel that somebody on that platform cares about you more than you could possibly even care for yourself, but you don't even know what yourself is, then you're motivated. <laughs> and you're happy to do this, go there, whatever. So, so I think you should all go home <laughs> and come again. <laughs> Hopefully we can take something with you and try to put it into practice. I should announce that Vaisheshika Prabhu, who is a regular attender to our programs, couldn't come tonight, so he sent these flowers. It says, Feeling Separation, Haribo. Her servants, Vaisheshika and Nirkula, who's his invisible wife. <laughs> Vaisheshika and Satyadev, who generally comes also there in Japan right now, explaining Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, you should all go home now. Yeah.